Welcome to the ASC podcast, Cytopath Pod. Join special guests to highlight ASC activities in cytopathology education, advocacy, and research. again. My name is Vonda Torres and I'm the chair of the ASC Cytopathology Fellowship Program Directors Committee. We're continuing today with our series Cytopathology Program Director Toolkit, where we discuss the approaches and tools for incorporation of various components of training into fellowship programs. Today we'll be speaking about progressive responsibility with Dr. Sarah Monaco and Dr. Armando Philly. Um, Dr. Monaco really needs no introduction. She's a professor of pathology at Geisinger Commonwealth School of Medicine and the program director of the Geisinger Cytopathology Fellowship Pro Program. She's on the executive board of the ASC and is an associate editor of JASC. She has served on numerous ASC committees, including being most recently the chair of the program director committee and having spearheaded many initiatives in that role, including the unified timeline for fellowship recruitment. Dr. Filé is a graduate of the Santos School of Medicine, uh, Medical Sciences in Brazil. He has been a faculty at the Accreditation, Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education, ACGME Accredited Residency Program in Anatomic Pathology, and the ACGME Accredited Fellowship Program in Cytopathology since he joined the Laboratory of Pathology at the National Cancer Institute in 1996 and currently also serves as the director of the Cytopathology Fellowship Training Program at the Laboratory of Pathology National Cancer Institute. Thank you both so much for joining us today for our discussion on progressive responsibility. Thank you, Vonda, and thank you to the ASC office for inviting us to talk on this important topic. Um, as Vonda mentioned, I am a Cytopathology Fellowship Program Director at Geisinger Medical Center. Um, I was part of the strategy session at the last ASC meeting in 2022 with Dr. Filier, and we led the graduated responsibility table. And I will say as a program director, I really felt like the strategy session allowed a lot of sharing of ideas on this topic, because I think this is one that a lot of fellowship directors struggle with how to actually implement. Um, I think some of the revealing things that came from our discussion um, is that a lot of fellowship directors like to set the expectations to know, to let fellows know what um, responsibilities or tasks they're expected to perform and at what level. And so a lot of fellowship program directors approach this with sort of entrance and exit interviews or just periodic check-ins. Um, I know for myself, I actually run the rotation for our residents in cytopathology education. And so when I have a resident on rotation, I'm meeting with them the first day and the last day. And the first day is really to sort of tell them what the expectations are so that they can try to meet those expectations and then to give them feedback on the last day in terms of how they did. Um, a lot of program directors describe how they have either checkoff li lists or evaluation forms that they use at periodic intervals. Um, for a resident, it may just be when they first appear on a cytology rotation versus when they come back as more of an advanced PGY-3 or 4. For the fellows, it seems that most fellowship directors approach this by looking at different points of the year. So you can look at it as the first six months and the last six months, 
or even doing every three to four month evaluations or assessment and seeing how they're doing. Um, so some programs actually have their goals and objectives for the fellowship um, separated in terms of block one for the first four months, block two, the second four months, and then block three for the last four months. I think a lot of fellowship directors described how they're getting more evaluations in the first six months for the fellows. So that if someone does see a deficiency or an area where the fellow needs to work um, to achieve competency that they can ad address that kind of earlier in the fellowship year. So I know I do do sort of monthly evaluations in the first six months and then in the last six months um, kind of uh, extend that out to about three month evaluations. Um, Another thing is that graduated responsibility could be kind of divided amongst tasks, like you could divide up rapid on-site evaluation, you could divide up um, slide preparation or ultrasound guided FNA as different tasks that you need to achieve to reach competency and to um, show progressive responsibility. Um, another thing that people describe that they do, which I think is a really good idea, is to describe supervision levels to your trainee, right? To just say, what is, indirect supervision versus direct supervision. I always tell trainees like, you're never not supervised by anybody. It's either direct or indirect or oversight supervision. So don't feel like you're ever by yourself. So even if we say that you can do rows on your own, know that we are there um, a phone call away to help you out. Um, another thing is I feel like a lot of, a lot of program directors have explained how they've probably been more favoring evaluations in terms of showing progressive responsibility. Whereas in the past, I think a lot of fellowship directors weren't um, uh, as, as formal about having evaluations. But I think it is important now to get a lot of different attending experiences and to make sure you are capturing um, how someone is doing in different tasks. Um, and I think part of the goal and objectives is really saying how they're going to be evaluated. So are you going to evaluate them with evaluations? Or are you going to look at for fellows, you know, the ASC PEC exams, subsection scores? Um, are you going to use MedHub? Um, do you want them to do a self-evaluation for how well they've done and bring that to you so that you can compare that to the evaluation that your CCC um, does through the year? That's very interesting that you bring up like a self-evaluation. I don't, I don't know that we, we don't do that here, but you know, I haven't really thought about that. That seems like a very helpful way of assessing people. Yeah, I will say like some fellows appear like they're fine on rapid onsite evaluation, but maybe a little bit um, feeling like they're not, not as confident as they want to be. So I think it is a good metric to see how, how comfortable someone is with their progressive responsibility and whether they see any deficiencies. We uh, actually don't actually use a self-evaluation um, uh, for the fellows. Uh, it's more of a director, uh, direct um, observation how the fellow is progressing. And, uh, you know, like you mentioned, uh, uh, Sarah, um, we do have an evaluation for uh, our divided progressive responsibility kind of training, uh, which is built in, in the curriculum and is divided in levels of prog uh, progressive responsibility. 
and, and that is based on evaluations of uh, uh, direct uh, evaluations of cases that the residents have provided. Uh, uh, I should say that again. Um, so that is based on uh, evaluations uh, that uh, the program director, uh, in this case, I, pro I, I, I provide uh, on reviewing cases that a fellow has uh, completed, including uh, you know the main diagnosis and ancillary testing for uh, to reach a diagnosis, as well as uh, uh, evaluations by the faculty. And based on that, uh, the, the fellow progress through progressive responsibility in terms of diagnosing a case. And the same is true for rapid uh, uh, on-site evaluations of finding aspirates, as well as the performance of superficial finding aspirates. Yeah, I think especially with um, performance of FNAs, but also rapid on-site evaluations, like we as attendings and site pathologists may think, oh, they they seem ready, right? They seem like they have all the tools to start, but maybe for whatever reason, the um, the trainee is not comfortable, right? So it'd be nice to hear from them and see what they have to say about it and sort of take that into consider consideration as well. I mean, sometimes it just takes a little bit more hand-holding, I think, with some, some trainees, even if they need it or not. Yeah, I will say, you know, some of the other things is um, when you evaluate graduated responsibility in different areas of cytology like rows or slide preparation or ultrasound guided FNA, it seems the, the steps to get to be competent seem more clear and outlined um, and more easily implemented. And I think a lot of program directors expressed a little bit um, feeling like they could use more help in terms of how to address billing codes, budget, personnel management, where like, how do you deem someone competent to code their own cytology cases with the right billing codes? And I think um, those are areas that I think probably, you know, the ASC materials, I know, Fonda, you're running a sort of a lab management course. And I think a lot of those online on-demand resources um, can help address the educational component. Um, and I think sort of assessing graduated responsibility in those areas will always be tough, but like at least having a check off of the different materials that they use to kind of address those topics um, and seeing how they, how they do from there. Right. I think even when we have like the milestones and we can see, you know, what the different levels should be, it's not always entirely clear, like what is a level three versus four versus five. So, you know, it may be good to have some resource, resources to help us, you know, get, if it's just even like educational type resources that we know that they've been administered, then at least we can say, well, they've reached this level um, sort of thing. But yeah, sometimes like assessing have they build certain things like are they able to code and bill and things like that can be really challenging for sure. Another thing that I think is kind of interesting is there's a MedHub resource. We use MedHub for our, our evaluations, but there's a MedHub component where you can actually show what someone is competent in doing. 
So if you're going to send your fellow to do an FNA at the bedside and the nurse isn't sure if that fellow is competent or able to do FNAs on their own, they can actually log into MedHub and look up the provider and see what they're, um, what they're signed off as being competent and doing. So I think that is kind of a cool feature, particularly for our fellows in pathology that do interact on the floor with other providers and could oh, that's be doing interesting. Procedures. So it's more like for like the clinical side of things, it sounds like, but your fellows also would have one that people can access. Correct. And who's filling out those um, evaluations that people are able to see then? Is it just all the clin any anybody who's interacted with the fellows? Right, like our coordinator does it here, but it's based on our evaluations and checking them off as competent. Yes, yeah, so and that might be a nice resource if people want to have another way of evaluating um, trainees and having that visible to people to help sort of um, uh, make things more uh, uh, directed towards what level they're at. Now I have a question for you guys. So, you know, I think we've discussed a lot of great things. I, I really like the idea of setting expectations early. You know, a lot of times we may have, for instance, um, it's good for either internal or external fellows, but if we have, especially um, fellows coming from other institutions to our institution, I think it's very good to set expectations because they may not know, right? So they may not know what um, your facility is uh, used to doing, right? So what the expectations are. So I think no matter what, if they're internal or external fellows, I think just setting expectations um, is very good for all so that we, we're all in the same um, understanding of what the expectations are. And I think this telling, um, telling your um, trainees that they always have some sort of supervision, whether it's indirect or direct. I also thought that was a very interesting point um, because then the, they know it's very clear to them that you know should, we're not just throwing them to the wind sort of thing. Um, I do have a question for you guys. Um, so if you have a fellow that you know you think really is not progressing appropriately, um, what do you do in cases like that? Do you, and how is that determined? Do you have committees that go through their evaluations um, and may um, assess this, you know, uh, uh, in a certain time period? Um, you know, how, how do you assess that? And how, if you do have one that seems like they're falling behind, how do you address that? Do you get more information? Do you meet with them to discuss things? In our program, uh, Rhonda, since we have just one fellow, uh, this will be more, uh, I would say, uh, based on one-to-one -one kind of conversation in terms of how uh, the fellow is progressing regarding uh, various areas of uh, cytopathology training, uh, including diagnosis, uh, roles and FNAs and, and the technical aspects of uh, uh, lab management. Uh, so in our program, uh, certainly uh, uh, I do uh, meet with the fellows as needed uh, doing the training. If we uh, detect uh, that fellows not uh, advancing or progressing as expected, 
based on the goals and expectations set in the curriculum that uh, is related to uh, graduate responsibility. Uh, and as I mentioned, always under supervision, either direct, indirect, or oversight. Um, and also, I, you know, when I meet uh, with the fellows, that is based on not only my personal observation, but also as uh, the, the faculty and, and, and technical people that interact with our fellow on a daily basis. Yeah, agree. I think if, if I have someone struggling in an area, more frequent check-ins and kind of goal setting like, hey, in the next two weeks, why don't you try to, you know, review more PAPs and let's talk about them or review this chapter. So I think um, sort of setting expectations and meeting more frequently is helpful. And then sometimes I will adjust people's schedule um, to give them more or less exposure to the things that they need. Um, a lot of times I'll use my lab information system to like run their numbers to see their case volume in different areas. And if like GYN cytology is challenging for them, or let's say their ASC PEC exam scores are lower in that area, um, maybe I would make adjustments to their rotation schedule so that, you know, they're signing out PAPs with my pathologist who's on, you know, GYN cytology or, you know, doing more volume of them um, for, you know, in a short period of time to, to get them ready for like the mid pack or some other metric that they can look at. Um, and um, usually when I look at case volumes, sometimes like I feel like there is sort of a correlation, like if someone is struggling in GYN cytology, usually if I look at their PAP numbers, they are a little bit lower. And sometimes it is just changing the workflow, making sure they're getting exposure to enough of those cases. And I do think a lot of program directors have expressed that some of the trainees in the recent past two years maybe are progressing a little bit slower if there are absences for illness um, or other things pulling them away from service load that they may not progress in the first six months if they were out for two months um, and things like that. And so there are, I think now more than ever, some adjustments you need to make, um, particularly looking at the first six months and then making changes as needed in the second six months so they can graduate on time. I think that's a fantastic idea using, um, you know, more objective metrics that we have at our disposal, such as looking at the caseload or the PEC exam if, if um, people's institutions utilize that. Um, and to really um, then modifying, say, the um, trainees schedule based off that just so that they have more exposure or could get more experience in areas that they may have difficulty in. I think that's a fantastic idea using those metrics um, to assess for that. And, you know, it, this idea of more frequent check-ins, I think is also very important because, you know, if a person's not doing well or not, I shouldn't say that, but if they're not progressing the way that we may expect, I think, you know, just checking in a little bit more, you know, can be very informative. It may tell you like what other external factors are, um, are, you know, contributing to this. And I think just checking in with a trainee also shows them that we care about what's going on with them and just trying to assess what's going on. So I think just having more frequent check-ins also um, is really helpful in situations like this. Um, 
You know, and going back to some of the points, so you were mentioning that, you know, like we know, you can meet with fellows or you should be meeting with them at least at the midpoint of the year, so at six months, and then at 12 months. I know you guys were mentioning that you may do it perhaps, or some people may do it every three to four months. Have you guys had experience playing around with these different intervals for um, checking in with the with your trainees? Is there one that you like better? Like, would you suggest every three to four months, or do you think the six and 12 months are sufficient? So I meet with the fellows individually at three months, six months, and then May, like 11 months, May and June. And I will say, I do feel like that initial meeting is really helpful to be like, hey, how did orientation go? Do you feel like you're getting, you know, where everything is and things like that. But I also do every three months, all my fellows and my program coordinator together. So it's me as the program director and my program coordinator and my two fellows, because the fellows may have similar things that they're struggling with and they wanna kind of talk about it together. And so I feel like you're more able to address things in, instead of waiting to the first six months, like meeting with them as a group so they feel yeah. like they have a voice and they can. Um, and so I feel like I've made a lot of, like, a lot of good changes to benefit them by having more frequent check-ins, particularly in that first six months, where I think, you know, if you're starting fellowship at a different institution, there's a fair amount, like an exponential learning curve. The first few months can be a little challenging to get up to speed. And so I think it's important to know that, you know, you're, 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 you know, that you care about them and you want to see them succeed and that you'll make it, that they're not like kind of alone trying to figure out how to learn everything. Right. We, we've played around with that interval as well here at MGH. And, you know, when I first came on board as the program director, we were just doing the six and 12 months. And the more I heard from people, it, it seemed like at least having that one at three months is probably the most important one, I think, because you're able to check in with them before it's sort of too late, right? If you're just going by that midpoint, then they're already halfway through their fellowship, you know, but since it's only a one-year fellowship. Um, so, you know, you can modify things based off of what you're hearing at that six months, but it probably is usually better to have one at three months because you can adjust, adjust that course a little bit earlier um, and hear if there's any issues, things like that, things that they like, um, things that continue, things like that. Um, so I, I think it is, like you're saying, I think it is most important to have like a three month and then in addition to your midpoint one and your end of the year one, we did play around with having one, uh, like a fourth one. And I think that was a little bit too much. <laughs> so I think three, a good number, in my opinion, at least too. And I will I, say like the check-ins when you have someone that's maybe not performing as well. Like, let's say the person doesn't feel like they're doing well in FNAs, right? And you're walking right. with them and you're on service with them and you're going to FNA clinic. I think that's a good opportunity to kind of say, hey, what are you focusing? What do you want to focus on during this patient encounter? What can I help you with? And like, I've had fellows tell me, you know, I just don't feel confident consenting patients. I feel like right. I tell them too many risks and they get nervous and then they start right. getting sweaty. Right. And so I'll be, I'll say like, okay, well, these are some things I remember, you know, like just sit at eye level, turn your phone off, 
like and try to just kind of relax them while you're consenting them and let's see if that goes better but like having them talk about what they're struggling with as you're walking to the fna clinic and then being able to like really watch them in that phase of what they're struggling right. with and give them direct feedback. I think that's very helpful, particularly for underperformers or people that are not progressing as fast maybe as you would expect. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Well, I think we've discussed a lot of great things over, over the course of this discussion. Um, I think you know the, some of the things that we discussed, including setting expectations early, also considering what levels they're at. Um, so that could be either fellow or resident. Um, having frequent check-ins, especially if you feel that you know they're not progressing um, the way that they should be, and then having those designated times for directed feedback as well, regardless if they're doing well or not. Um, every, you know, and again, institution to institution could decide, but possibly doing it every, at three months, six months and 11 months, I think is a good combination of things. Um, so yeah, I think we've discussed a lot of great things. Um, thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thank you, Fonda. And thank you, Jamie and the whole ASC office for allowing us to do this podcast and share the handout from the strategy session. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to CytopathPod. You can reach ASC on Twitter at Cytopathology or via email at asc at cytopathology.org.